0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And again, then this Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know if anybody cares about the Super Bowl or Who you were rooting for, if anybody, uh, who you're rooting for. But I wanted to just uh, share an illustration that is kind of a football illustration today. On Friday, April 3rd, 2004, news reported another soldier that was killed in the Middle East at that time in action. And at that time in history, many of you remember that our troops were deployed uh, to the Middle East because uh, that was following the events of, of what was happening in 9-11 and the attack on the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon. And uh, whenever we hear of a, a soldier or anybody, a police officer or anybody that is killed in the line of duty, uh, certainly we grieve and our hearts go out. But there was something unique about this particular soldier back on Friday, April 3rd, 2000. His name is Pat Tillman, and he's got quite an extraordinary story. In fact, uh, Tillman had everything that a young man uh, and a citizen of this country could want. He was drafted in the NFL by the Arizona Cardinals in 1998, and uh, and he worked his way uh, into the safety position, won that safety position, where he broke a franchise record for tackles in the year 2000 with 224. He had everything going for him. His $3.6 million contract was more secure than ever. He was at the top of his game. And the then, uh, 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 the, the then St. Louis Rams, they were the St. Louis Rams at that point, led by Kurt Warner, Super Bowl champions, they had their eye on Pat Tillman, and they were ready to offer him a huge contract. But after the September 11 terrorist attacks broke, there was a greater cause that gripped his heart. And in May of 2002, at the age of 25 years of age, he walked away from the NFL in a multi-million dollar contract for an $18,000 a year salary from Uncle Sam. He shunned uh, any kind of interviews. He didn't want his enlistment to be something public or to be something that people made a big deal about. In fact, he told his friends he simply wanted to give back to his country. Two years later, Tillman was killed in action about 25 miles from a U.S. military base in Kost, Afghanistan. And following his death, fellow players, Fellow soldiers, politicians began to make public comments in the media about Tillman and about his sacrifice. And one of those comments came from his agent, Frank Bauer. And this is what his agent said uh, in USA Today. This is what he, he said. They talk about the impact player in this business, meaning the football business. He said, well, Pat was an impact person. He swam against the current and he marked those who knew him. He marked those who knew him. We've been talking about some impact players, some impact people in the Old Testament, some people in the book of Judges who, unlike Pat Tillman, were actually unlikely people that anybody would look at to be an answer for what was happening in Israel at the time. In fact, God had called unlikely people to lead Israel every time they cried out to God when they found themselves being in a position where they had walked away from the Lord and they were feeling the pain and the consequences of those decisions, the oppression that they were under. They began to cry out to the Lord and God would raise up an unlikely deliverer. And that's what we've been looking about, looking at. And the one that we're going to follow today, the guy that we're going to look at today, his name is Gideon. And to be honest with you, he's not that all impressive. He's a rather unimpressive individual, but there's a process that we see in his life, a process in which God moves in his life and moves him to a place of trust in the Lord. And in the end, he ends up in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith, so to speak, along some other movers and shakers of the Old Testament. We track his story in Judges chapter 6 and 7, and it's really a a primer of what it is to move in a position where you really are struggling to trust in God at all, to trust that God is there, and you move into a position where God moves in your heart and calls you to do something great for him. In fact, we're going to talk about four steps today to developing trust in God. Anybody need to develop some trust in God? (laughs) Amen. The first is this. God oftentimes uses tough times to get our attention. Has anybody ever found that to be true? God uses tough times to get our attention. You see, there was a great victory. We talked about it last week when we talked about Deborah and Barak and Jael. There was a great victory, and following that victory, they they had they drove out the Canaanites and they drove out that wicked king Jabin out of the land. And it says there was peace in the land for 40 years. Years, the land had peace for 40 years. That's the way it ends in Judges five thirty 40 years, everything is at peace. The bills are being paid. The kids are behaving. Business is good. There is peace in the land, right? Everything's coming up roses. But how many know that that is a time where you have to be guarded? Because at times in our lives when things are going well are the times we let down our guard. And where we begin to rely on ourselves. And we begin to drift away from our trust in the Lord. Anybody ever have that happen before? And see, that's what happened. Israel became self-sufficient. They began to think, well, we don't need the God of Israel. We stopped remembering the God of Israel that brought about the deliverance and the peace that we have experienced. And instead, they began to trust in the gods of the culture around them, the Baal and the Asherah gods of of the communities around them. And they began to move into the idol worship. And this is what Judges 6, starting in verse 1 through 5, this is what it tells us, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now remember, this was a time in Israel's history where it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes, but it's not about what's right in our own eyes. Really, what we measure up to is in the eyes of God. And God has a, a something here that He says that Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And when the Israelites planted their crops, look at what would happen. The Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. In fact, it says, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. And it was was impossible to count them and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So this is what they're living under. They're living under these circumstances where they had drifted away from God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, you want to trust in those gods? Let those gods save you. You want to trust in those things? Then see what happens when you trust in those things. And what happened is this evil nation, this, this, this pagan nation of the Midianites was allowed to come in and they ravaged the land. In fact, the, for seven years, they used their power to mercilessly ravage Israel. And yet, they you know this about the Midianites. They were a nomadic people. They didn't have a land. They didn't have something where, where this was their land, this was their place. In fact, they were a nomadic people. They set up tents, and they would move from place to place, and wherever they went, they would just take whatever anybody else had. They used their power to do that. And so at harvest time, as Israel would take the time, they would sow the seed, they would put in all the work, they'd put in all the effort, and then at harvest time, just when they were getting ready to reap everything that they had sown and all the hard work they did, all of a sudden, here come the Midianites, and they come in like locusts, you, You can't count their numbers. Their numbers are too large to count. They can't even count their camels. And not only would they come in and take all of the harvest, but then they would allow their their animals and, and, and everything to graze. And when they left, there was nothing left in the land. They would completely ravage it. And as a result of that oppression where they were constantly losing everything, year after year after year after year, finally they began to cry out to the Lord. Finally, they cried out to the Lord. In fact, verse 2 tells us that, that before that they would prepare shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and, and strongholds. And, and and they would take whatever they could carry. And year after year, fear ruled the day, and they found themselves empty and poverty-stricken. And it said this in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Why did it take seven years? You ever wonder that? Why did it take seven years to cry out to the Lord? Well, because like you and I, oftentimes we don't, well, that's not so bad. Well, maybe that won't happen next year. Well, maybe that's just a one time. Well, maybe we can figure out another way. And we see them, they try to to gather up their crops and they, they try to gather what they can and get away and hide in the mountains and in the mountain clouds. And they make do with what they have in the midst of their pain because they don't want to change. They don't want to acknowledge God and change, and so they begin to find ways to live in the midst of the pain. And friends, I'm gonna tell you today that if you're in the midst of pain, if you're in the midst of trial, if you're in the midst of difficulty, it just might be that God is trying to get your attention. It just might be that God is saying, what are you trusting in that is not me that continues to ravage your life and leave you empty and leave you in pain? I'm not saying that all trials are a result of walking away from God, for even the believer experiences trials. But in this situation, and oftentimes in our lives, we put our trust in things other than the Lord, and we begin to reap the consequences of that. And God here is trying to get their attention. And finally, after seven years, they cry out to the Lord for help. Now, they've done this. We've seen this in this cycle over and over again. But this time, rather than immediately raising up a deliverer, here's how God responds. Judges 6, starting in verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. You know what God is doing here? God's saying, I've raised up a deliverer over and over, and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remind you of who I am. I'm going to remind you of who I am. I'm going to remind you of my power. I'm going to remind you that it was I who brought you out. I'm going to let you know who I am, and and I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to let you know I am still with you. But friends, you've got to turn back to me. You're crying out to me, but it's more than just crying out. You've got to turn to me. You've got to change the object of your worship. You've got to change the object of your trust that you've been putting in these other things and put it back on me. I'm calling to you. God demonstrated his power to set them free, and oftentimes God will allow us to go through the difficult circumstances so that we can bear the fruit, we can see what happens and bear the fruit of what comes when we trust something other than God. In fact, we have the freedom to choose, and God puts that choice, he says, you can choose me or you can choose the God of the Amorites. This is what happens when you choose the God of the Amorites, but if you choose me, I am your strength and I'm your deliverer. Friends, you got to understand, every choice bears out consequences. Every seed that we sow uh, will will produce a harvest that we will reap. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that. It's not just the good things that we sow. We are sowing seed, and whatever seed you sow, you have to understand that there is a principle in the Bible, the principle of sowing and reaping. And when you sow into your sinful nature, from that nature you will reap. In fact, one verse in Scripture says, you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. The harvest is always greater. You sow one seed, but you get a multiple harvest out of that seed. Friends, what seeds are we sowing? As difficult as it is to accept, God is not done with Israel. He's using this trial to get their attention and to discipline them because God disciplines those he loves. Who he's, not, I'm not done with you. In fact, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, for the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father delights, as the father, the son he delights in. Friends, here's the point. God, tough times come, but instead of looking them as God is punishing me, let's begin to see them as the grace of God in our lives. Let's see them as the grace of God in our lives. It's at this point, friends, that that God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. God loved Israel too much to let them trust in the gods of the Amorites and the nation that they live. He understood what that meant. He understood the pain. And he said, you know what? I love you too much to leave you in that way. I'm trying to get your attention. God has designed troubles, and they're always for our good. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Shouts in our pain. And so it's in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, that Israel begins to cry out to the Lord. And it's here that God begins to, to, to visit a very unlikely deliverer by the name of Gideon. And it's here that we also learn this the second step God sees more in you than you do in yourself. God sees more in you than you do. I want you to know that. God sees more in you than you do. That's the wonderful thing about God. Even though Israel was slow to returning to him, even though we're going to see that Gideon is going to be a little bit slow to seeing, God sees more in Gideon than Gideon sees in himself. In fact, Judges chapter 6 and verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where he where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I just find this to be funny. And you you might not pick up on it because maybe we're not a, a wheat threshing people here. Maybe we, I don't know, how many have ever threshed wheat before? Anybody ever threshed wheat before? If you've ever threshed wheat before, you know that when you thresh wheat, what you do is you take it out, usually on a flat stone area, out in the middle where the wind can come so that as you begin to beat it and as you begin to throw it in the air, the wind comes by and blows away the chaff. But that's not where we find Gideon. In fact, where the angel shows up and finds Gideon, Gideon is threshing wheat, not out in the open like he should, that would be an easy place. Instead, he is in a wine press. He's in a wine press. The wine press is a carved out stone in which you'd put the grapes, and usually you'd call the maidens together. It'd be a celebration at harvest time, and they would get in and they would take off their shoes, their sandals, they would have their bare feet, and they'd literally begin to dance inside the, the wine press, and it would press down the grapes so that it could begin to squeeze it out to be able to make the grape juice and the wine. But Gideon, here, after seven years of oppression, comes up with his own idea of how to make it work and how to keep the harvest. And he makes it, it's much more difficult for him as he's trying to, to thresh this wheat in a wine press because he's fearful of the Midianites. And here, in the midst of the fearfulness, God shows up and makes no sense. The Lord is with you, and he calls Gideon, mighty warrior. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. He is a fearful man, he is anything from, than, a, than a mighty warrior. You might think God is being sarcastic, but friends, God is not being sarcastic because God sees more in Gideon than Gideon sees in himself. As we're going to continue, we're going to see the same thing. And friends, I want you to know that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. To Gideon and others around him, Gideon was fearful and Gideon was oppressed. He was not a mighty warrior. Even his own admission, he lacks faith in God. You can see God's, you can see his own self-talk as it reveals the struggles of his faith in God. Verse 13, Gideon responds this way. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, giving us into the hand of Midian. Do you see Gideon's self-talk? What does the Lord say to him? The Lord says... The Lord is with you. Before he says mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. What happened when God sent the prophet? What did the prophet remind them of? That God was the one that brought them out of Egypt. But in the midst of the trial, rather than seeing God trying to draw them back, instead, they believe in the self-talk that God has abandoned them. And there are so many times in our lives that just because trials and difficulties come, we find ourselves going, God, where are you? God, I thought you had the power to save. God, I thought you had the power to heal. Why did I get this? Why did I? Why? Why did I get this? Uh, this diagnosis from the doctor. Why does that have to come to me? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this coming to me? God, if you're the mighty warrior, I feel like if I'm facing this trial, you've abandoned me. And God says, No, I've not abandoned you. The reality is, you all have abandoned me. And I'm not saying that for every trial we go through means that we've abandoned God. But friends, I'm going to tell you that there are a lot of people today and a lot of folks even in the church and a lot of people in our world today that the pain that they're experiencing and the trials they're experiencing are because you have walked away from God and you've put your trust in something else and it's not that God has abandoned you. He's trying to get your attention because He loves you. He loves you. And he sees more in you than you see in yourself. And rather than acknowledge, you know what? God, you you are with us. You've spoken to us through the prophet. You know what? You are with us. Gideon is so far that he doesn't even recognize that it's God that's speaking to him. Through the angel of the Lord, he doesn't even recognize that it's God who's speaking to him. That's how far off he is. And all he can think is, God, you've abandoned me. Self-talk. Self-talk. Self-talk in the midst of trial and pain. Listen, the enemy wants you to think that God is against you, friends. That God is against you. The enemy wants you to think God's against you and that he's abandoned you. But friends, God wants you to see that he is with you and he is for you and he is calling to you. He's calling to you. The second part of Gideon's response deals with self-talk concerning himself. So he had self-talk concerning God. God, you've abandoned us. But he also has self-talk concerning himself. And 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 this is what this is what he says. Gideon, the mighty warrior. He uh, the Lord turns to him and and says to him, "Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you?" So Gideon questions whether God is is with him in Israel. And God says, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. And like you and I, Gideon doesn't see himself as a mighty warrior, doesn't see himself as having any strength whatsoever. And this is how Gideon responds. Another pardon me moment. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. In other words, hey, God... (laughs) You got the wrong guy. Hey, God, I don't know what you're seeing, but you got the wrong guy. And if he doesn't even recognize this is God, the angel of the Lord, whoever it is, he's thinking, you don't know what you're talking about. That's the self-talk. The self-talk for us looks at all the reasons why we can't looks for all the reasons, looks at us, and and we look at ourselves and we say, well, I can't do that. I don't have this talent. I don't have this strength. I don't have this personality. I don't have this educational training. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I I, I don't come from a a good enough family. I'm not rich enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough position or power. I, I don't, I'm not enough. And God says, no, you know what? It's not about what you see in you that you're not enough. But it's the Lord is with you. And when I'm with you, I see more in you than you see in yourself, mighty warrior. We struggle so many times to believe that God could call something, somebody like us. And Gideon couldn't see it himself. But God saw it in him. You know, we see this pattern throughout the Bible, don't we? You have this guy by the name of Abram. And God looks at him and says, you're going to be the father of a multitude. Your name is Abraham. Before he ever had a son, before Isaac was ever born, before there was ever somebody, God looked at him and said, you're going to be the father of a multitude. And Abraham said, who, me? I don't, me, I don't, I don't even have a child. I don't even have an heir. He looked at Abraham's wife, Sarah, princess, and he says, no, you're going to be Sarah, mother of nations. While she was barren, while she was barren, because God says, it's not what you see right now, but it's what I'm going to do in you if you will trust in me. It's not about what you have. Right now, you look and you go, but this is where I'm at. I don't have this. And God says, it's not about what you don't have. It's not about what you think your weaknesses are and what you, what you don't have, but it's about what I see in you, because I see way more in you than you see in yourself. Hey, Simon, you're not Simon anymore. You're Peter, rock. You're not Simon anymore. You're Peter. But Peter acted more like Simon before the Holy Spirit came into his life, didn't he? He acted more like a Simon than he did Peter. But God saw more in him than he saw in himself. And friends, that's what I want you to get today. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. And Christ wants to transform you from the inside out because he is calling you today. He's calling you today. Thirdly, God gives us peace if we give him the opportunity. Part of trusting God is to learn to to transfer our peace onto him. Gideon was fearful... Gideon was was feeling as if he wasn't enough. His clan wasn't enough. His family wasn't enough. He wasn't enough. He was feeling oppressed. The Lord has abandoned us. Gideon lacked peace in his life. And now the angel of the Lord shows up. And they have this exchange. And Gideon is still a little bit unsure. But he's going to give the opportunity here. He's going to give the Lord an opportunity here. To be able to give him a peace inside. And a confidence so that he knows. Check out what, what happens here at this point in in the story. Judges 6, 17, and 18. Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is you who is really talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So here's what Gideon knows. Whether he's serving another God or whether he's serving Jehovah, what Gideon knows when it comes to, to serving is you've got to offer a sacrifice. You've got to offer something. Because in that day and age, in order to be able to, to know that the God who you were serving was pleased with you, he had to receive your offering. We see it with Elijah and the prophets of Baal as they c- give offerings to see which one is going to be consumed by fire. And the one that is consumed by fire is the one whose God is the Lord, the one who has accepted and received the offering that says, You're acceptable so this is what Gideon knows. This is what he does. So he says, you wait right here. I want to test this. So I'm going to give you an offering. I'm going to make you a meal. And I'm going to give you an offering if you will consume it. Because I'm trying to find out if this is real or not. And so he's he's offering him something. And look what happens. In verse 21, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. The meat and the unleavened bread. With the tip of his staff that was in his hand, fire flared up from the rock, consumed the meat and the bread. The angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, look what the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. So Gideon is giving an offering. And it's when he gives God an opportunity, when he gives God an opportunity through his worship and through his offering, that he finds the peace that he's been looking for. Friends, I'm going to tell you that when it comes to trusting the Lord, you've got to offer God something. You've got to take a step of faith. You've got to offer God something. You've got to begin to, to, to give a little, surrender a little, trust a little and in order for God to be able to confirm and, 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 and show himself to you. He has, he has a moment, alas, wow, a, a moment in which he encounters God. I've seen the Lord face to face, woe is me. Kind of like Isaiah caught up and he goes, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. God is looking for us to... To offer ourselves to Him, to say, Here is my offering, here I am. So many times we lack peace, and God says, No, I'm calling you, and I see something in you, and I'm drawing something out of you. And so many times at that moment we have a decision. See, at this moment, Gideon had a decision. What's he gonna do? He's calling you. He could have said, You know what? No, I don't believe you. You know what? I'm the weakest in my family, and, and my family's the weakest clan. You got the wrong person, and just go away. You know, I, I'm going to put up walls. I, you know, I, 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 that's just not me. I'm going to let fear dominate me. And you know, we have that choice. In life, we have that choice. When God is trying to awaken something in us and call us out and says, I see something in you, we have the choice. We can give in to fear or we can take a step of faith. But I'm going to tell you, when you take a step of faith, you're going to see God meet you. And that's the place where you're going to find peace. Peace on the inside. He gave God the opportunity to work in his life. And some of you need to give God the opportunity to work in your life. Gideon had all the questions. The Lord has abandoned us. Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? And he didn't discover the Lord until he offered something to the Lord. And friends, you're not going to discover peace until you begin to offer yourself to the Lord. Until you offer yourself to the Lord. In view of God's mercy, Romans 12.1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Friends, God is looking for some of us to begin to surrender and to let the walls come down so that he can begin to give peace where we fear the most. Fourthly, I've got to keep moving. Before God will use you in public, he wants to clean up your private life. Because before God will use you in public, he wants to clean up. So there's this calling that's going on. And God is appearing by his grace and his mercy. He, He begins to call out to Gideon before Gideon takes the step of faith. That's grace and mercy, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come on. Come on. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's not looking, he's not calling you because your life is clean. He calls you before your life is clean. He sees more in you than you see in yourself. And he's saying, will you take a step towards me? Will you take a step towards me? And when you do and you encounter God, then God says, okay, we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. What is the work? Here, Judges 6, 25 and 26, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one uh, seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah poles beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down and offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You know what the problem is? There was idolatry at home. There was still idolatry at home. In his very backyard, in his home, there was an altar to Baal, and there was a a, a pole set up to Asherah. They were places of worship to an idol, and God says, listen, I'm calling you, but you've got to deal with the sin in your home. You've got to deal with the sin in your life. You've got to deal with the idolatry in your home, and he says, take a second bull. Now, let me understand something. The bull was the very symbol of Baal. And it was also in the time of poverty-stricken, when the Midianites would come in, it was a valuable piece that would help them within the farming next year. And God's saying, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. you got to go in, and you've be- got to begin to tear out the idols that you've been worshiping. You've got to tear out the idols in your home. you got to begin to clean up the, 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 those things. you got to begin to clean up the sin in your life, and you gotta, you got to build an altar of worship to me from it. And Gideon says, well, Oh, man. Wow. And he does it. In fact, he gathers some people and does it at night when he can't be seen. Why? Because he knew that it would make his father unhappy. He knew that it would make the community in which they lived unhappy. Because when you begin to deal with the idols in your life, it doesn't mean that your family and your friends and your community are going to understand it or going to like it. You begin to touch something. Friends, coming to God is going to cost you something. But Gideon could do it because he had an encounter with the Lord and he had a peace with, within. And this guy who was fearful and, and, and stomping grapes or, 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 I mean, threshing wheat in a wine press, all of a sudden has a little bit of courage now because of the peace of God. And he goes and he begins to deal with the problems in his own heart. He begins to deal with the problems in his own home. Friends, it's costly to serve the Lord. God desires to give us peace in our lives, and his, his plan is much bigger than the pain and bondage of sin. And as God reveals and desires to reveal Himself, he, he wants you and I to be an impact player. But to do that, we've got to begin to clean up the things that He begins to reveal and convict through the power of His Holy Spirit. He, he, he wants us to begin to, to get rid of some of the masters that we've been serving in our personal life. As Matthew six twenty four says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. As James says, you can't be double-minded. There are some things that have to go if you're going to serve the Lord. Why? Because there there is a peace that is for a moment when you encounter God. But the true and lasting peace that Gideon needed couldn't come until the idols were torn down. Couldn't come until the sin was dealt with. And friends, until you, if you want a lasting peace, you've got to deal with the sin. Otherwise, you will not have lasting peace. You may have it for a moment, and when you respond to an altar call or have an encounter with God in a worship service, but you won't have lasting peace until you deal with the sin in your heart and in your home. You've got to deal with the sin in your heart and your home. And guess what? It's costly. Not everybody's going to understand. It's costly. But it's the only way to walk in lasting peace. And Gideon was fearful, and the scriptures tell us he did it at night. But he obeyed the Lord, and because he obeyed the Lord, look at what Judges six thirty two says. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal That day, let Baal contend with him. So what happened is people get upset, and his father comes out and actually comes to his defense and says, "You know, if, if Baal so is Baal such a real god, Baal let him deal with Gideon." You don't deal with it, let him deal with it. Because he's not real. He's not, there's no power. Gideon was no longer contending with God. Now he was contending against the enemy. And that happens when we are transformed by God. Our contentions are no longer with God. Why have you abandoned us? Where are you? Why can't you be there? Instead we begin to recognize the real enemy of our souls and we begin to contend with the real enemy. Some of you are fighting the wrong battle. You continue to fight with God because you're not living the way you're supposed to live. And God is saying, why are you contending with me? Get your heart right with me me and I'll show you the real enemy that you contend with. I'll show you the real enemy that steals your peace and the real enemy that is causing your pain and the real enemy that continues to hold you captive. I'm going to show you the real enemy but you've got to begin to stop contending with me and start releasing, start surrendering to me. Some of you need to stop contending with God and start surrendering to him. Because then it's there that God's going to reveal the real enemy. The enemy of our soul. And it's only here that we begin to see that Gideon's fight has just begun. And we're gonna take a look at that next week. So allow me to close this message and move us into a time of communion with these questions and the worship team, if you can come. God uses tough times to get our attention. Let me ask you something. Is he trying to get your attention today? Is God trying to get your attention today? Friends, God always sees more in you than you see in yourself. Friends, do you need to begin to see yourself as God sees you? What's the self-talk that you need to say, you know, I gotta end this self-talk. I I gotta stop the self-talk that is so destructive. Friends, God gives you peace if you give him the opportunity. Friends, do you need to take a step of faith in your worship and give God an opportunity to give peace to you? Give God an opportunity to reveal himself to you. And lastly, private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. So, friends, is there something inside your heart, something inside your home, something that should not be there that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, you know what? You need to take a radical step of obedience. You need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that. You need to repent of that. You need to repent of that. You need to begin to let that go. You need to allow me to begin to forgive you today. Friends, God is calling some of you out of darkness and out of despair and out of addiction and out of oppression and out of fear. So let's respond to the Lord today. Let's bow our heads today. Let's bow our heads as we respond to the Lord. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I need to respond to Jesus today. I need to respond to the Lord today. I need to give my life to him. I need to ask him for his forgiveness and his grace in my life. i am been walking with the Lord. I haven't received his salvation and his grace, and today I, I want to repent, and today I want to give my life to Christ. Whether you're watching online or you're here, will you just respond? If you're in here, will you just slip up your hand? If you're online, will you just let us know in the comments or email us, info at painsvilleag.com? Come on, anybody, I need to give my life to Christ today. I need to surrender my life to the Lord today. Secondly, maybe you're here and and you say, you know, today I need to take a step towards God. Or you know what, there's something in my life that, that, that I need to get right with the Lord. I'm gonna pray in just a few moments. And if that's you, will you just begin to confess that to the Lord? Will you respond to Jesus today and what he wants to do in your life? Father, we thank you today. For your grace and your mercy, we thank you that you see more in us than we see in ourselves. We thank you that your word says you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, you have not abandoned us, but Father, today we turn back to you. Father, today we take a step towards you, surrendering our lives and saying, Lord, we need your peace in our heart. Father, we come to you today and those things that you've convicted us of, Lord, we just pray that you'll give us the courage We give us the courage to repent of those things, to do away with those things, to tear down those things, whatever it is that is in our lives that because we have served it has stolen our peace. Father, today we come to you and we surrender that back to you as an offering. We say, Lord, I just, I I put this before you and I ask for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and your strength. And Jesus, I say yes to you today teach me, Lord, to trust you. Teach me, Lord, to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.